Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we're going to be breaking down the Saturday, January 27th slate of college basketball DFS. We are going to be breaking down the main slate on DraftKings as well as most of the main slate on FanDuel. Um, FanDuel went a little bit outside the box. They have a, a lot of the afternoon games on their slate. So we're going to be covering all the games from 12 p.m. Eastern time to 2 p.m. Eastern time here on this slate because that encompasses the 12-game DraftKings slate as well as most of the FanDuel slate. So full disclosure, these Saturday episodes are probably the most difficult for me to do because um, with it being a 12-game slate, it's a lot of games to research. And, um, you know, generally speaking, it, it's a 12-game episode with, with that much to research, like, um, I don't want to shortchange any game. There's some research and some stats that get left on the cutting room floor just in, you know, in name of making the episode a little bit shorter and making it a little more digestible. So um, kind of difficult slate to break down for me, and I didn't want to expand it for more games to get the full Fandle slate in there. So here's what I will say. If you want my full thoughts on the rest of the four games from the FanDuel slate or the afternoon slate of um, DraftKings or the night slate on DraftKings, make sure that you join the Fantasy Corner Discord. Link is in the description on YouTube as well as um, on the audio feed. Basically, we'll be we'll be in there all day chopping it up, talking plays, talking strategy, talking lineups on the Fantasy Corner or in the Fantasy Corner Discord with a whole lot of other guys who are really smart talking college basketball as well. Um, and then also, I will be doing my full regularly scheduled Patreon articles for the night and the afternoon slate as well as well as for the full FanDuel slate so um that's kind of what we got here the, the 12 game DraftKings slate is what you're going to get from this episode if you want anything else fantasy corner discord and the patreon are both open and available to you all right so without further ado like i said i don't want to make this episode too long so let's go ahead and dive into this 12 game slate with game number one the world's largest indoor cocktail party <laughs> You college football fans will realize what I did with the game there because, you know, Georgia versus Florida in football is the world's largest out there outdoor cocktail party. Um, so the world's largest indoor cocktail party has to be Georgia versus Florida basketball, right? Not, not exactly. Doesn't exactly work like that. Anyway, we've got ourselves a nice 12-game slate here. Let's go ahead and dive in. Also, looking at the contest, DraftKings gave us a mini-max for this slate, which is big because that is a huge prize pool, 150 max entries. Um, obviously, if you want the best chance to win it, you're going to want to max enter that, which um, is kind of tough for, for a lot of you guys to play on a budget like I do. I'll definitely have a few entries in it, but I'm certainly not going to go a full max 150. All right, so Let's go ahead and talk about this Georgia versus Florida game. So this is the highest total of the slate projected, according to Ken Palm. Ken Palm has this game projected to finish 83-76 to 76 in favor of Florida, giving Florida the highest team total of the slate um, and making this a very appealing game to target. Now, the downside is, is that these are two decently difficult teams to target. So it's not exactly like super easy, but, but there's ways to get to it, right? So in conference play, Georgia has really kind of concentrated more of their usage around the Jabri Abdur-Rahim as well as Silas Demery Jr. Um, on FanDuel in particular, I think Jabri Abdur-Rahim is a, is a bargain. Um, you look at what he's been doing rightly. He's been taking a ton of shots. His usage rate has really increased in conference play. He's taken a ton of threes as well. And when he is hot, he gives you a game like he had against Kentucky where he put up 43 fantasy points. So I think Jabri Abdur-Rahim is a really solid play. Silas Demery is a guy who generally puts up a lot of peripheral stats, which he hasn't done a whole lot of lately, but the potential is there. And in a pace-up game, you know, a game that's going to be played at a fast tempo, the chance is there for a lot of those peripheral stats, which he kind of did against Kentucky, um, where he put up 22, 2, and 4, had 35 fantasy points. So those would be the two guys that I would be really centering my lineups around for the Georgia side. 
Russell Chewa is also interesting. Um, he is their primary center. Um, he has shown a legitimate ceiling. He had 35 fantasy points against Missouri, 32 against LSU. Like, the potential is there. I, I don't think he's just a guy you can just immediately cross off and dismiss. Um, outside of that, like, it's a great game environment for all these guys. Justin Hill and Noah Thomason, as well as RJ Melendez, can all have spike games. And, and I don't think that, like... If you play enough lineups, I think you should eventually get them in maybe one of your builds. But um, they're not guys that I'm going to be featuring heavily, but they're all guys that do have legitimate ceiling potential, especially in this pace-up environment. Now, why is it a pace-up environment? Because the Florida Gators play at a really fast tempo. So on the Florida side, you've got three guys over 7K on DraftKings, Tyrese Samuel, Walter Clayton Jr., and Zion Pullen. And that makes them really difficult to, like, all get there together, I probably wouldn't stack them together if I'm being honest. You know, maybe I could see myself stacking Pullen with Samuel. Um, I think Pullen is the more stackable piece because he does have a higher assist rate, but like Pullen hasn't really shown that high of a ceiling this year. You know, only once in his last five games has he been over 30 fantasy points. Clayton does have potential for a little bit more of a ceiling game, but still, he, he's in the same boat. You know, two of his last six games has gone for over 30 fantasy points. He's just been down shooting, and so I do think if he does have some shooting regression, um, he could end up, um, you know, hitting it big. Tyrese Samuel is a guy that I think will probably be my favorite of the big three for Florida just because he does tend to have more ceiling games um, and those ceiling games tend to be bigger than um, the other two guys. Um, after that, like they're really tough to target. Like every now and then you'll get a random Will Richard game like he had against Mississippi State where he put up 45 fantasy points. Every now and then you'll get a random Riley Kugel game um, like he did against Arkansas where he had 34 fantasy points. So kind of like with the bottom tier Georgia guys, those are guys that I think if you play enough lineups, you should get them eventually, but uh, not guys that I'm going to be looking to feature in my core or, or like center my lineups around. Now, the next game is going to be Nebraska taking on Maryland, a battle in the Big Ten. Ken Palm has this one projected to finish as 70 to 69 in favor of the Terps. Now, on the Nebraska side, Juwan Gary is the big question mark. He was available, listed as available in, in their last game against Ohio State, um, but he ended up not playing. So it's really weird how that ended up working out. Um, that leaves his status for this game, in my opinion, totally unknown. I have no idea what's going to happen. Now, in his absence, though, what you have seen is a few things. First, you saw a rank-mast ceiling game. Rank-mast ended with 60 fantasy points against Ohio State. Um, he was able to get more rebounds and assists and higher usage rate because of Juwan Gary not being involved in the offense. But I don't think that's something that's going to happen again. Guys don't tend to have ceiling games against Maryland because Julian Reese is a really good interior your defender and Maryland tends to play rock fights. So I don't think this is the best spot to go back to rank mast. You've also seen um, Josiah Alec get the start in place of Juwan Gary, but he hasn't really done a whole lot with it. His high in doing so is 23.75 fancy points. Um, and then CJ Wilcher and Jamarcus Lawrence have had um, bigger minutes and usage without Gary. And you know, this game against Maryland, it's not going to be played at a super fast tempo. It's not going to feature a whole lot of scoring. Um, so those those guys with a lower price tag might have a better chance at hitting value than some of the other more expensive Nebraska guys. Now on the Maryland side, look, you got to like Reese and Young, right? Like they've been guys that we played time and time again, and they almost rarely 
they rarely let us down. Like they're just really solid plays that they've had incredible usage. Um, and then both can get to four X value together. In fact, they did so in their most recent game against Iowa. Now, if you're thinking, well, Mike, that's against Iowa. Everybody scores 80 points against Iowa. Not really. They only scored 69 points as a team in that game. And both Reese and Young got into four X together. I think they're both good plays. I think you can play them together. I think you can play them separate. I just think they're really good plays in pretty much any environment as long as they stay at their current price tags. Now, if you're looking to pivot from them, Dante Scott is an option. I think he's actually at a really good price on FanDuel as well. Um, he's a little cheaper. Um, and he's playing a ton of minutes. He's played, you know, 33 minutes at least in his last two games. He's seeing a decent usage rate. He's kind of the third wheel to Reese and Young. And so if one of those two guys were to ever get in foul trouble or um, you know, heaven forbid, get hurt or something like that. Like you could see a big game out of Dante Scott. I feel the same way out of Deshaun Harris Smith and Jahari Long. Those are guys who can have potential for high usage games, but it doesn't happen a lot when Reese and Young are both healthy and playing. Next game up is going to be Kansas State against Houston. And on a 12-game slate, obviously, you can't play somebody in every lineup from every single game. This is one you can just take a Sharpie and put a big, fat red X over. Um, it is projected to finish as 70-54 to 54 in favor of Houston for a total of only 124 points, which is the lowest on the slate. Kansas State, in general hard pass for me. This is a team who has been struggling offensively, and now they get to play Houston's defense and also Houston's slow tempo at Houston. Just a bad combination. If you were to try to make an argument for anybody, Tyler Perry's only 6,500, and he has an insane usage rate lately. Like He, he really has had the ball a lot. It's trending more so that this is a Tyler Perry-led team as opposed to a Cam Carter-led team, and he's only $6,500, but it's still not, not there for me. Dorian Finster has played a lot of minutes lately as well. Two of his last three games, he's played 20 minutes and put up 15 fantasy points. And at $3,700, that'll get there. But it's against Houston, and I don't really like it. So, um, yeah, that, that's really all my interest for Kansas State. Now, on the Houston side, they're only projected 70, but, like, they're decently predictable on how they get to 70. Shed and Roberts have the highest ceiling, right? Because Shed has an incredible assist rate. You know, he averages six assists per game. If this Houston offense is clicking, it's usually because he's doing something like he did when they put up 77 points against Texas Tech and he had 29, four, and 10. Juwan Roberts is also a guy that I have interested in. Kansas State is not exactly exceptional at guarding the post, and Roberts does have legitimate ceiling potential. He had 53 fancy points earlier in this month month against TCU. He, he's been kind of quiet recently, but if he can stay out of foul trouble and, and he can stay, you know, on the floor, then it could be a, a ceiling game for Juwan Roberts. And then you have Cryer and Sharp. There's like the designated shooters. They're very shot dependent, but it, it wouldn't shock me to see either of them have a ceiling game. Now, Virginia at Louisville is another game that I think you can take a marker and put a big fat red X over. Um, Ken Palm has this one projected to finish as Virginia 68 to 62 um, for a total of only 130 points. The reason why Virginia ranks 361st in the nation in tempo. If you're curious, there's 362 teams in Division One. 362nd is actually North Texas, who we talked about the other night. So, the good news is, though, for Virginia, Louisville surrenders a lot of fantasy points. They are not a good rebounding team. They do not force a lot of turnovers, and they give up a high assist rate. So if there ever were a time to play Virginia, guys, it'd be against Louisville. And Reese Beekman has an incredible usage rate on the season. He has a 27% usage rate and 43% assist rate on the season. I think he's in play for me tomorrow, um, as well as Ryan Dunn. Um, so Ryan Dunn is now being used at the four spot. More on that in a second. 
and he tends to play his best against teams who play a smaller lineup and play, you know, a smaller option at the four, like NC State, like the first game against Louisville where he put up 38 fantasy points, and, you know, like um, the Georgia Tech game as well where he put up 30. So um, I think Ryan Dunn is a solid, solid option. Um, I did not check. What did Reed Beatman do the first time against Louisville? 29 fantasy points in 31 minutes. Not bad, but like I said, Reese Beekman's going to be in play for me. Ryan Dunn is a guy that I do like, though. But the guy we got to talk about is the new starting center for the Virginia Cavaliers, Jordan Miner. And so he started the last four games for them at center. 18, 28, 15, 24 fantasy points. Really solid, right? But now he's up to $5,800, and I think that price tag is a little bit too rich for my blood. Like, you look at what he's done, and now for this price tag, he's only had two games that were 4X, and he has not had a game yet that is 5X at this price tag. So um, I think he's a solid player. I think he's going to continue to develop well. But I kind of think this price tag is a little bit of an overreaction, and I would prefer him to see it 5000 even as opposed to 5800 However, I think a lot of people are going to feel like I do because we're used to paying $4,000 to get this guy. And so maybe he goes lower owned. Maybe he's a sleeper pay. Look, we've seen centers go off against Louisville this year, so it wouldn't shock me if he has a big game, but he's not the supreme value that he was a week ago. Now, on the Louisville side, like I said, Virginia is a really hard team to target guys against. Um, Brandon Huntley Hatfield might get a little bit of interest for me just because um, he kind of has turned into the garbage man offensively, getting a lot of offensive boards, seeing a decent usage rate in doing so, and, and um, you know, kind of filling the stat sheet that way. But he's a little expensive for, for where I would like him to be at. And then Curtis Williams is the guy that I would consider also. Um, he's only 4,700. He's playing a lot more minutes now than he was, um, and he does have legitimate potential. He's had two 25 fantasy point games earlier in the season. In fact, I do believe one of those was against Virginia. No, he had 16 fancy points against Virginia. Now, heading to the next game. We've got Georgetown taking on Providence. And um, Georgetown is a team that has been really kind of interesting to target all season long. They have, you know, some kind of predictable tendencies, but also kind of not. Um, this game is projected to be um, 79 to 65 in favor of Providence. So Providence is one of the higher scoring teams on the slate. Um, Georgetown, they've kind of centered their minutes in the last three games. Though What they've done is they've played Epps, who's their point guard, a ton of minutes. Dontrez Styles and Jay Heath have also played a ton of minutes. So it, with Georgetown, you know those three guys are going to be out there on the floor. And, and Epps has an incredibly high usage rate. He also has an incredibly high assist rate, so he's a very stackable piece. Um, Supreme Cook is a guy that I wish he played more minutes. Like, he is really good when he gets minutes. Like, you look at his last five games, anytime he's played more than 26 minutes, he scored 30 or more fantasy points. So if you told me right now he was going to get 30 minutes, I'd have him in my lineups, but I don't know if we can guarantee that. Also, one thing that's interesting is Providence um, has seen a trend of guys who are off-ball guards have done really well against them. So I do think that does draw a little bit of my interest to Styles as well as Heath. The reason why that works is because Devin Carter defends the point guard spot, and he is such a good on-ball defender um, that it kind of creates this situation where the point guard is passing more than shooting. Um, and so Devin Carter, he's been incredible in his own right offensively, though. So everything with Providence revolves around the injury to Bryce Hopkins. He's now been injured for five games now and in those five games Devin Carter has been over 45 fantasy points in three of them 
that that's 5x value for his current salary. I think he's a really solid play in a game where Providence should easily put up 75 points. I think he's an absolute smash play and one of the top plays on the board. Now, also in those five games, Josh Aduru really struggled the first two, but he's been over 35 fantasy points in three straight. I think you can play both these guys together, honestly, and I think that's a pretty solid combination uh, of a dynamic duo that you can play. There's a few duos like this on the slate. We've already talked about Reese and Young. We've talked about Carter and Aduru. And we're going to talk about another one of my favorites here a little bit later, um, but I think both those guys can be played together individually or, or you know, just a part of a game stack as well. Now, what you've also seen is Jaden Pierre has been between 21 and 28 fantasy points in all five games since the Bryce Hopkins injury. I think he's a solid cash game play, but the ceiling hasn't really been there. Speaking of the ceiling, though, Ticket Gaines had a ceiling game against Seton Hall where he shot five for seven from three, um, put up 40 fantasy points in that one. I don't necessarily want to chase that, but like, He's at a very reasonable price tag where he doesn't even have to get you all 40 of those fantasy points to pay off value in a game where Providence is projected 79 points. Next up is Seton Hall taking on Marquette. Um, Ken Palm has this one projected to be Marquette 77 to 69. Now, Ken Palm doesn't know about injuries, though, and the biggest injury on the slate belongs to this game. It belongs to Seton Hall's Kadari Richmond. He is their all-world point guard who has been great this season um, and um, missed their last game, and, and I don't really know if he's going to end up playing this one or not. I don't think he's a super great option if he does. He only had 30 fantasy points in the previous meeting against Marquette, which was a game that they won, um, and he's coming off of that injury, so probably a pass on Richmond for me. However, my interest in the rest of the Seton Hall pieces varies differently, like drastically, depending on if Richmond sits. So if Richmond is out... Almir Dahls ran the point guard in that last game where he was out, and he took 22 shots. And um, also, he's a bargain on FanDuel. He, he's cheaper than this on FanDuel. I think he's a great play if Richmond is out on FanDuel. Um, he had 39 fantasy points in that game, and I don't necessarily know if that is going to continue, but it doesn't even need to be that much for him to hit you know, 5x value. 35 fantasy points would be 5x value. And what you also saw in that last game was Isaiah Coleman moved into the starting lineup, he played 32 minutes and put up 24 fantasy points. I think he's a really solid option as well. I would consider him close to a lineup lock if Kadari Richmond is out. But the problem is, is with this game starting at 1 p.m., you really need, need to have a contingency plan if you plan on playing Coleman and Richmond does end up suiting up. I think like just the math supports playing Dawes and Coleman, though. Combined, they're about 11K. And combined, you know, for the season, Richmond and Dawes average 60 fantasy points per game. So if you kind of extrapolate that a little bit into now Dawes and Coleman, 60 fantasy points out of guys that cost a combined 11K, that's well over 5X value. And I think that's a really solid mathematically based play. Now, don't ignore Dylan Adewusu, though, because um, he took 13 shots in that game against Providence and missed all 13 of them. That's really hard to do. And he still put up 16 fantasy points. So let's just say he went 5 for 13. Well, that's at least 26 fantasy points. So um, Adewusu, I do think, is in play for me as well. Again, if Kadari Richmond is out. We have targeted bigs against Marquette all season long as well. Jaden Bediako could be a guy who could take advantage of that. He only played 23 minutes last time against Marquette, but put up 19 fantasy points. He's another guy kind of like Supreme Cook at Georgetown. If you told me he was going to play 30 minutes, I'd lock him into all my lineups. 
Now, on the Marquette side, there are no injuries to worry about, but um, they've been really interesting with their lineups lately because with the injuries to Ross and Jones, they've been super thin at the guard spot. So Tyler Kolick has played a ton of minutes. He's seen a ton of usage. He's put up 37 fantasy points in three straight. I think he's a really solid play, and I think he's a really solid game stacking option if you want to play both those Seton Hall guards. Oso Igadaro is probably my favorite play on the Marquette side, though. Um, he has been over 40 fantasy points in two of his last three. He also put up 45 fantasy points the last time they played Seton Hall. And we've targeted bigs against Seton Hall all season long, too, mostly because of that Oso Igadaro ceiling game that we got. So um, Oso will definitely make my player pull, and he's definitely going to be in some of my lineups. I also think Cam Jones has to be due for some shooting regression. Like, he's playing a decent amount of minutes but because of all those guard injuries. He just hasn't been shooting the ball all that well. Um, and so if he does get a decent shooting game, he can rack up a lot of fantasy points like he did when he played Seton Hall the last time where he put up 30 fantasy points. Marquette also went big in their last game. They played Ben Gold at the, the five and Oso at the four. Um, ben Gold played 26 minutes in that game against DePaul and put, only put up 14 fantasy points, but at a salary of $4,000, that's not that bad. Um, but I don't expect them to do that in this one because DePaul plays a little bit of a bigger lineup. Seton Hall plays a little bit of a smaller lineup. Um, it's just a trend that is worth noting, but I don't necessarily expect it to continue in this game. All right, so that was six games in 18 minutes. Let's take a quick little breather and then let's talk about the second half of the slate. If you like what you see here on the podcast or like what you hear here on the podcast as well, please uh, like the video on YouTube and please rate and review the audio feed. It really does help me out a lot. I really do appreciate it and I cannot thank you guys enough for doing that. So if you like what you see and you want to show a little bit of gratitude for all the research for these 12 games and putting this together, please like the video, rate and review the audio. All right, so let's go ahead and dive into game number seven, which is going to be Kansas heading to Ames to take on Iowa State. Surprisingly, Ken Palm has this one projected to be 75-70 in favor of Iowa State. I did not see that one coming. Um, Iowa State actually is a higher rated team on Ken Palm than Kansas. So um, interesting tidbit there. I, I don't necessarily know if I agree with that one. I, I got to see Iowa State beat somebody to know if they're for real. So um, for Kansas, we've talked about all season long, Dickinson and McCuller, they're always in play. There's always a ceiling potential lurking and they're at a very reasonable price tag. And they're another one of those duos. They're not my favorite duo, but they're another duo that I think you can play together and just pencil yourself in for, you know, 70 to 80 fantasy points and, and be happy with those two. Now, the guy we got to talk about for Kansas, though, is Johnny Furphy. So he has moved into the starting lineup um, in for the last three four games. And in those four games, he had a little bit of a dud against Oklahoma, 15 fantasy points. But since then, 32, 27, and 42 fantasy points. He has been great, over 27 in, in all three of those starts. And he's now $6,500. And I think a lot of people are going to look at him and be like, wait a minute, we have to pay $6,500 for Johnny Furphy? Well, he's been playing like a $6,500 player his last three games. In fact, arguably more than that. And the usage is there. He's had a legitimately decent usage rate. He's had over 18% in three of those last four games as well. So like... I'm willing to pay that price tag, and, and I'm hoping that others are not because I think that he is legitimately good at basketball, and, and I think that it's a very reasonable price tag for what he's been doing just in his time as a starter. Now, on the Iowa State side, boils down to one question, Lipsy or Gilbert? I'm really not interested in anybody else on this team, if I'm being honest. Um, to me, 
That's what it boils down to is these two. Gilbert has been the better play as of late. He's had 34 and 39 fantasy points in the last two. Keep in mind, Taman Lipsy left on the TCU game or did not play in the TCU game. Um, so, you know, a little bit of a boost for Gilbert for that reason. But Lipsy has also kind of struggled a little bit in conference play. You know, he did miss that TCU game, like we just said. Um, but he's only been over 30 fantasy points in one of his last five. But if you look further back, like... He's got legitimate 50 fantasy point ceiling. He's done 40 multiple times, and the usage rate is still there. The shots are still there. He just hasn't been hitting. So if you're looking to buy in on some shooting regression, I don't know if there's a better candidate out there than Taman Lipsy. And like I said, I think these are the only two guys that would play from this Iowa State side, and I probably would only play one of them. I think it would be a nice little game stack to combine with Furphy or McCullough or Dickinson to play one of these Iowa State guys. Next up is Texas Tech heading to Norman to take on the Oklahoma Sooners. Um, and Ken Palm has this one projected to be Oklahoma 73 to 69. Look, I've watched both these teams because as a Texas fan, both of these teams have played Texas already. Texas Tech, I think, is better than, than Oklahoma. That's just from what I have seen. And so I kind of think Texas Tech's going to win this game. Anyway, 73-69 is the projection in favor of the Sooners. For Texas Tech, they are now playing a super short rotation. Really, only their top six guys are, are like even playing legitimate minutes. Um, I guess you could say top yeah, top six. So um, th that's really the only guys that are playing. And Pop Isaacs is the guy who's been, who's been getting like the lion's share of the usage. He's been over a 32% usage rate in each of his last two games. Um, put up 51 fancy points against BYU. Against Houston, which is a tough matchup, only 23.5 fancy points. But this matchup against Oklahoma is not Houston. Now, this Oklahoma team just did give up a lot of fancy points on Wednesday night to Dylan DeSue of Texas. So why not try to target a big again and go with Warren Washington of Texas Tech. He got 12 shots in their last game against BYU, put up 35 fantasy points. So there's a legitimate ceiling there for Warren Washington. Um, and then Joe Toussaint has kind of been like the, the Robin to Pop Isaacs Batman. So like if you're looking to fade Pop Isaacs, Joe Toussaint might be the guy to go with. But he's really struggled shooting lately, one for 10 in his last game against BYU. If he has a solid shooting night, he can do what he did against Texas and put up 29.5 fantasy points. Now on the Oklahoma side, look, this is a super frustrating team to target maybe they're like right behind louisville and kansas state in terms of like teams i'm least likely to target on this slate like they're really hard to pin guys down against because their usage is so spread out and all of their guys are like decently expensive and which makes it really hard for them to get there and they don't get there consistently in fact against texas on wednesday night nobody in Oklahoma's rotation, put up over 4x value against the Longhorns. Yes, you heard that right. None of the Oklahoma Sooners hit value Wednesday night against Texas. If you played an Oklahoma guy against Texas, you probably just instantly did not have a winning lineup because of that. So who do we target in this game? Well, Jalen Moore has been seeing more and more usage as conference play has gone on. He came close to getting 4x against Texas. He had 23 fancy points on a $6,000 salary. I don't think he's a terrible play. Milos Uzan puts up a lot of peripheral stats. I don't think he's a terrible play either. The other interesting development is that John Hughley is starting to see significantly more minutes over Sam Godwin. Hasn't really turned into a big fantasy performance yet, but it will eventually down the road. Next up is my Texas Longhorns taking on the BYU Cougars. And look, it has been a great week for Texas. They had two season-saving victories at home against Baylor and on the road against Oklahoma. And they're going to need to try to do it again here against BYU, who's another team that... 
I'm not convinced they're that good. I think they might be, but I don't know if they are just yet. So we're going to see in this game if they are. Ken Palm has this one projected to finish 79-71 to 71 in favor of BYU. Definitely home court advantage, I think, playing a little bit of a factor there. With Texas, they're a pretty simple team to target, in my opinion. They have been playing in the last few games through Acemas, DeSue, and Hunter. And all three of those guys have been seeing a ton of minutes, a ton of usage, and a really solid fantasy output from the last few games. Dylan DeSue probably has the highest ceiling. He had 43 against Oklahoma and 50 fantasy points against Cincinnati. Tyrese Hunter is a little more up and down, but what I like about Hunter in this game in particular is I think Texas has a distinct athleticism advantage in this game, and Hunter is a guy who can take advantage of that because he's a really good athlete at the two-guard spot. Dylan Mitchell is another guy who has been pretty solid lately. He, his usage rate has gone down, but his high rebounding rate has still allowed him to hit value, even though he's not taking a whole lot of shots. And again, he's another guy that I think will have an athleticism advantage against this BYU front court. And what I see happening is Texas going to pick and roll a lot with DeSue and Mitchell on the roll and making these BYU bigs come out to the perimeter and guard them. And I see them being really successful at it. And if BYU decides to go drop coverage, that would lead to a lot of open jumpers for the guards. So I could really just see any between Ace Smith, DeSue, Mitchell, and Hunter, any of them could have a big game in this one, depending on how BYU decides to defend it. Now, also with Texas, it's worth noting Ithiel Horton has moved into the starting lineup for the last three games. However, only one of those was any good. He had 30 fantasy points against his former team, UCF, and a combined 12 fantasy points since. What's interesting to note, though, is that Kendall Weaver played more minutes than Ithiel Horton last game. Kendall Weaver played 28 minutes against Oklahoma, took eight shots, which is pretty solid for a guy in his role, and put up 21 fantasy points. I think he's one of the better value plays on the slate. He's a guy that Rodney Terry has really seemed to take a liking to. He's kind of a glue guy that doesn't need the ball in his hands, will make plays defensively, is a really solid defender. Um, and I think he's a pretty solid play at 3,600. Like, there's a lot of guys on this slate that are down there at that price tag that just aren't even going to see the floor. And so he's got a legitimate plans, chance to play 25 to 28 minutes and put up 15 to 20 fantasy points at that salary. On the BYU side, like Oklahoma, this is a pretty tough team to target. On the season, nobody on this team averages more than 30 minutes per game, which is like an insane stat. Now, in terms of the bigs for this team, it has been primarily Noah Waterman and Ali Khalifa. And like I said, I think that this is kind of a bad matchup for the two of them. I think Texas is more athletic than them. Khalifa has a really interesting game. Um, he was a, previously a Charlotte 49er the last few years, so I got to watch him there. They call him the Egyptian Jokic at Charlotte just because that's kind of who his game is modeled after. And he does have a chance for ceiling games, but I don't think this is the best matchup for him. Um, Waterman is kind of the same way. He plays a little more minutes than Khalifa. He's been really good in his last two, putting up 28 and 30 fantasy points in those last two games, but I'm not really interested against this Texas front court. And the backcourt with BYU, like, it's just pretty darn random. Who's going to end up going off between Hall, Nell, Johnson, Saunders, and Robinson? Personally, I think Jackson Robinson might be my guy. Um, he is actually leading the team in usage on the season. Um, he is now playing more minutes. He's played over 30 minutes in his last three games. Um, and it hasn't really translated to a big-time fantasy day, but it, all that's done is just kind of de depress his price tag a little bit and keep it down. So um, I think he would be the BYU guard that I like. But bigger guards tend to do well against Texas, and he is one of them. But I think I could see any one of those guards for BYU going off. I, I just don't really care to try to predict which one. 
Next up, we have v, or West Virginia taking on Oklahoma State. Um, Ken Palm has this one projected to finish 73-68 to 68 in favor of Oklahoma State. And I got to be honest, this kind of has – this could be the game where, like, you, you check your lineups at, like, 3 o'clock, and it's like, holy cow, there was that many points scored in West Virginia, Oklahoma State. Like, I could see this being a game that just goes crazy, just just kind of a gut feeling. The only thing that concerns me is that West Virginia is a significantly better team at home. They score a lot more points at home. They shoot the ball a whole lot better at home, so they're going to have to fix that if they want to contend in this game. But the good news is for them is they got Jesse Edwards back, and Jesse Edwards is a guy that doesn't need a whole lot of usage to score a lot of fantasy points um, because, um, you know, just he um, – does just he does so much with rebounding and block shots that that he um gets points now against UCF he did not actually play in that game but he was available he went through warmups and, and all indications that I have read are that he's expected to play against Oklahoma State so um it obviously like it wouldn't shock me if you know come two o'clock he, he's listed as out but he's expected to play in this game now, Patrick Sumner could be a guy who would be affected by that against UCF. He fouled out of that game, played 27 minutes, and only put up 5.5 fantasy points. But he had really been a revelation for this West Virginia team. He had put up 27, 21, and 31 fantasy points in the last three games before that. I kind of think Edwards being back hurts him, but uh, he's been really well lately, so it did merit mentioning. Um, Raekwon Battle dealt with foul trouble last game as well, and that's about the only thing that can prevent him from shooting the ball 14 times. Um, so I think he's a guy that would be interesting just in case this game does, in fact, go crazy. It's probably going to be because he ends up scoring a lot of points. On the Oklahoma State side, Javon Small has been their leader in usage on the season. I think he's a solid play. I think Virginia, West Virginia is a good team to target guys like him against. Um, and he's had 32 or more fantasy points in two straight games at a salary of only $7,100. Bryce Thompson actually leads the team in shot rate, though. He can be a little hot or cold. And with West Virginia not being a great defensive team, if you get him when he's hot, he has a legitimate 30 fantasy point ceiling at a salary of only $5,500. As the season has gone on, this has been a team that's kind of in flux. It's kind of a lost season for them. They are one of the bottom dwellers of the very tough Big 12. Um, as the season has gone on, though, John Michael Wright, Eric Daly, and Jairus Hicklin have been the three guys who have seen their minutes trend upward. Um, so those would be three guys that I would have a little bit of interest in as value plays. They all have a legitimate chance to get four or five eggs. Next up is to end it, two of the better games of the slate to target in the ACC. We've got UNC taking on FSU first. Ken Palm has this one projected to finish 80-72 to in favor of the Tar Heels. The previous meeting between these two teams was 78-70, to so it should actually give you a pretty decent picture of what this one might look like. Um, on the UNC side, both RJ Davis and Armando Baycott put up over 40 fantasy points in that first meeting. And right now, you are getting the two of them at like the lowest price they've ever been. Well, maybe not R.J. Davis because he was 7,500 against Wake, but um, this is a really low price for these two guys, and they had they both have the potential to put up 40 fantasy points each. So really, you could get 80 total fantasy points out of these two guys at a salary of you know $15,000. This is probably my favorite duo play of the slate. You know, we talked about Reese and Young, we talked about. Um, 
Kolekin and Godaro, I think, was the next one. Dickinson and McCullough as well. I know there's probably one I'm missing, but this is one of my favorite duo plays of the slate, and they can definitely get there together or separate or as part of a game stack or just as a one-off play. I, I really like Davis and Baycott for this game. Now, if you're looking to pivot off of them, though, Harrison Ingram would be your guy. He has a really high rebounding rate, and he tends to do his best when Baycott is off of the floor. And then Cormac Ryan and Elliot Cadeau, I think, are just solid stacking partners. Like um, in the first meeting, uh, Cadeau had 16 fantasy points and Ryan had 20, which is not terrible. But like if UNC ends up getting to 80 points, you got to feel like some of these other guys other than Davis and Baycott are going to get there as well. And those two are going to play a ton of minutes. Now, on the FSU side, Jameer Watkins was really the only guy to have success in their last game against Carolina. Um, he had 32 fantasy points in that game, and he's been really good lately. He had 49 fantasy points against Syracuse. He has a really high usage rate. He's a really tough matchup for other teams. Um, he's probably my favorite play on this side, and he's probably most likely to get there in a game stack type of lineup. Now, what you've also seen since that Carolina game, though, is FSU's kind of retooled the rotation a little bit. They've gotten a little more consistent. Darren Green has played a lot of minutes lately. It hasn't really translated into a big fantasy output in the last few games, but this is a great game environment. It's a pace-up spot, um, and he had 22 fantasy points in that first meeting against Carolina, so he'll make a few of my lineups on this Saturday slate. And then Primo Spears and Jalen Worley will also make some of my lineups. Primo Spears has a massive shot rate. He just hasn't been playing a ton of minutes until now. Um, he's played 26, 29, and 30 minutes in his last three games. And with that shot rate, he's due to have a big night sooner rather than later. And then Jalen Warley is another Jalen Warley is another guard who's playing a lot of minutes um, and in a, a solid game environment. I could definitely see him hitting value as well. Last game of the slate is Pitt taking on Miami. Um, this one is projected to be 77 to 73 in favor of Miami. There's a lot of really interesting things to talk about in this game though. So Pitt has turned into a little bit of a mess. Carlton Carrington had been really struggling until last game. He had 33 fantasy points against Georgia Tech, but he had really been struggling before that, but that was not kind of a nice little bounce back for him. And the reason why is because of the usage of Jalan Lowe, who had been starting at the one for this team. Um, he's now over 26 fantasy points in three straight, but Seeing the two of them do it together against Georgia Tech does give me a little bit of optimism that they can do it together here against Miami. And I don't think either of them make for terrible plays. Um, Ishmael Leggett's another variable, though. So he was one of the best players on this pit team before he got injured, and he missed a few games, and now he's back. And he really hadn't reached his full potential since he got back. But against Georgia Tech, he saw his normal minute load, 29 minutes, and he saw his normal usage rate, 27%. It only turned into 22 fantasy points because he was 4 for 11 from the field. But he's got a little bit of upside, in my opinion. And if he does get back to his full self, playing 30-plus minutes a game, seeing 25-plus percent usage, I think he's a really solid option. And then last bit for this pit team, Blake Henson has been largely unaffected by the changes in the rotation. He just he is what he is. He's a good rebounder. He's a solid power forward in college. His shot rate can vary game by game, but, but he's a solid rebounder, and he's going to play a lot of minutes. Um... Federico Federico is also now the starting center for Pitt. He has now surpassed Guillermo Diaz-Graham. Doesn't get a lot of shots, but, you know, he, he's the starting center, and we've seen starting centers go off against Miami before. So it's, it's, he's worth a look, in my opinion. On the Miami side, another team with some interesting tidbits. So last game, 
They started off by moving Keyshawn George into the starting lineup, and he played 36 minutes and put up 29 fantasy points. It's really good. They also moved him to into the starting lineup in place of Bensley Joseph. However, what immediately happened was Matthew Cleveland got hurt after playing 11 minutes in that game, and you saw a lineup where Bensley Joseph played most of the game with Keyshawn George in Matthew Cleveland's spot. Joseph ended up playing 30 minutes and putting up only 18 fantasy points. So I don't know what the status of Cleveland Cleveland is going to be for this game, but if the intent was to start Keyshawn George, I kind of want to go back to him, and I think he's kind of worth going back to for that reason. If Cleveland is out, I think George is an absolute smash play, and I think it makes the entire rest of the Miami starting five a smash play. If the intent was to bench Joseph, which is what they did start off the game by doing, then that would lead to more on-ball usage from Nigel Pack and Wuka Poplar, so I think they're intriguing as well, but if Cleveland is active, that kind of throws a little bit of a wrench in that also, because then that would, if Cleveland is inactive, excuse me, that throws a wrench in it because that would move Joseph back into the starting lineup. And it just, there's a lot of scenarios here with this Miami team. The one scenario we did see though, was that with Cleveland out, Norchad Omir had a ceiling game against Notre Dame. He had 55 fantasy points. It's not shocking though, because Matthew Cleveland has a really high rebounding rate. And so Norchad Omir was able to get his double-double um, with Matthew Cleveland out of the lineup and, and grab a lot of boards. And so if Cleveland's out, I think that George and Omir would be the two biggest beneficiaries from that. All right, so that was a nice little summary for that Miami team there at the end. So that does it for the Saturday. January 27th, college basketball DFS slate on DraftKings. Again, that is the DraftKings main slate that we just went over. If you want to know my thoughts on the full FanDuel slate, which is only missing four games, and the DraftKings afternoon and night slates, there are a few places you can get that. There's a few places where you can get more information from me in general. First off, follow me on Twitter at Mike's Money Picks. Join the Fantasy Corner Discord. It's a blast to be a part of. There's a lot of smart people in there who are talking college basketball DFS all day long, talking plays, talking strategy, and then sweating it out together. It's a lot of fun. If you're looking for people to talk DFS with, I highly recommend it. And then I do write an article for every college basketball DFS slate to my Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike's Money Picks. I profile my core plays as well as pretty much my lineup strategy and attack strategy for the slate. And so th those are the places where you can get more from me. That, that pretty much does it, y'all. If you like what you saw here on this video or on this podcast, please like the video, rate and review the podcast. And subscribe to the channel. Subscribe to the audio feed as well. Um, if you're subscribed, you'll be with us for the rest of college basketball season, which I hope to be back on here tomorrow night to talk about the Sunday slate, which is not something that we've gotten to do yet this season. So make sure you subscribe so you can be back with us. Hopefully, I was able to give you guys a lot of information that is going to help you build some winning lineups on DraftKings and FanDuel tomorrow. Best of luck to you guys on tomorrow's DFS slate. Thank you guys for watching and listening to this point, and I will see you next time.